If you want to build a powerful brand that stands the test of time, is versatile, and yet is still authentic, then you want to have a listen on this conversation. Oh my goodness, Brim schools us on what it means to perform at a high level and to build a strong brand. Let's face it, as entrepreneurs, we don't do very well at this. Stay tuned. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives. Today, we have an amazing guest. We have Brimstone with over 40 years of experience in entertainment and as a serial entrepreneur. There's loads that we're going to have to ask of you, Brim. So we're super excited to have you. Please introduce yourself. First and foremost, I want to say thank you, Priscilla. I got to listen. Finally, Brimstone is created <laughs> Reinventing Perspectives. We have been going back and forth. So I'm so glad to finally be here with you. Very excited to, to have a conversation. If you're not familiar with me, I am Brimstone. I've been in entertainment, like she said, for uh, for 40 years. I started on Sesame Street and Romper Room toward the world of music, then in pro wrestling. I'm an actor and author, comic book character, animated character, kids book character, you name it, I've done it. I also do the Grindhouse Radio and a couple of other uh, shows. The Grindhouse Radio is on iHeartRadio and over 30 other networks syndicated with between three and a half to four million listeners weekly worldwide. And, you know, I've got product lines out there. There's a whole bunch of different things. So whatever you want to know, I'm here for you. Oh, that's a great way to start. Thank you for the energy and just giving us the rule to say we can ask whatever we want because we're going to ask. Tell us how all this got started. How did you get into entertainment? At a very young age, my mother had been bringing me into Manhattan. And and what's really funny is my mother passed away about three years ago. We've been cleaning out her house because we finally sold it after these last couple of years. And, you know, we've been finding little pieces of my career within the house, which is really, really cool. So when I was about four or five, my mother started getting me in front of casting agents and in front of, you know, as many different people as she could. And I found two of the contract that I apparently I was represented when I was <laughs> five years old. Um, what he called. So we found the contract of that. And I also found, you know, like I said, uh, the first big you know thing that I did was Sesame Street and, and, and Romper Room. And I found my contract for PBS for Sesame Street. Apparently I was locked in for about three months and it was, it's pretty crazy um, because that's where I got my start. My mother was always interested in so many different things more so than I even knew, obviously, you know, uh, while she was alive, you know, because going through all this stuff and I'm going, where did this come from? She did this, Mm -hmm. that, oh, okay, all right, interesting. So I know where I get a little bit of my um, interests from, from her and, and of course, my father. But, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, when I was a kid, she brought me to all these casting agencies. I remember being uh, in front of people that did a Rice Krispies commercial. Um, I don't think that I was cast in it. But I know that I auditioned for it. And I also auditioned for like a one steak sauce and a couple other things that I remember. But you're talking about I'm 46 now. I could barely remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday. (laughs) So if anything, uh, but that that being said, that's when my career started. And, um, you know, my my parents wound up having a nasty divorce uh, when I was younger. You know, in that separation, there was, you know, a little bit of a tug of war, so to speak. And when my mother was going to be bringing me into Manhattan, because I'm in New York, so she was going to bring me to Manhattan for castings or for auditions. My father on certain days was like, no, that's my day. And, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And so there was a big, you know, headbutt there. And Mm -hmm. I'm not blaming my father for anything. I'm just saying, you know, I know that that it went both ways. And I wound up having that cut short when I was young. Who knows what would have happened had I stayed in entertainment from that age and move forward. Now, that being said, I also, a little bit later on, I fell in love with 
comic books and art and I started drawing and I was young. You know what I mean? I had to be nine, 10 years old and, you know, sitting and drawing. And I got very involved in, in like Marvel Comics, X-Men and things like that. And I was really thinking that I was going to be a famous artist. I wound up going to orchestra classes, which I couldn't stand. I hated playing violin. Finally, they gave me the option to play another instrument and I picked the drums. And with that, that became my true first love. And I started playing music and I went to school for music and then I toured with music. I did so much in that sphere. That was kind of like my coming up in entertainment, funny enough. And I know I'm skipping back and forth, which we could go into if you'd like. But, you know, everything came full circle uh, with the art stuff because, no, I did not become an artist, but I am a comic character, a comic book publisher. I have kids books. I have the whole nine yards. And Stan Lee was a very good friend of mine. I'm the celebrity spokesperson for his foundation for literacy and children. So it did come full circle eventually, which means, you know, people, you know, your dreams do eventually come true. Maybe not exactly how you thought they would, but they do come true. And obviously with acting, and I do a lot in acting. So being that I was an actor, that came full circle. And the comic book thing came full circle. Who knows what's going to happen with the music and then the wrestling and all that other stuff. Wow. I hope I'm giving you enough information. What moment do you remember where you actually thought to yourself that this is what I want to do? I mean, when I was little, I, I was the kid that always had to be at the front. I always had to have the attention, you know, looking at me. And at the end of the day, I had to have that spotlight. I knew that I wanted to do something you know, when I was younger, but not until I was in music playing in front of these big crowds and having people singing lyrics back to you. You know what I mean? That's what I was like. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. You know, not necessarily music, but just being an entertainer. And again, and I had done lots of plays when I was younger and and all this other stuff, but not until I was established in music and, you know, I'm playing and, you know, there's depending on what what music you're doing, because I did, you know, a bunch of different styles of music. But, you know, people singing lyrics back to you, people saying, man, your music changed my life or people moshing in, in these pits. You know what I mean? It's like at the end of the day, it was it was like, I want to do this. I can do this. And uh, it's got to happen. And that's what really kind of pushed me to the next level. You know, you've got such an interesting career because you've had a bit of everything. And you're often described as a renaissance man. And why do you think that is? Simply because I am the jack of all trades, maybe the master of none. Um, Listen, nobody can claim to be a master of anything. When you think you're the master of something, that just means that you've lost because nobody knows everything about everything. I am the jack of all trades. If I want to do something, I do it. Essentially, if I say, well, I want to learn this, I'm going to learn it. If I want to take a product and put it out to market... I'm going to take that product, I'm going to create it, I'm going to put it out to market. It's something that not everybody does. A lot of people have ideas. A lot of people have very good ideas. They just don't follow through. And when you don't follow through, you always have that, well, what if? And Mm -hmm. um, that can destroy people. So for me, I am not the what if kind of guy. I'm the let's grab it and move forward and see what happens. And if you fail, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Failure is part of success. Without failure, you don't have the recipe for success. You know, people need to make sure that they understand that wholeheartedly. People are so afraid to fail and so afraid to show, oh, this didn't work out, you know, but guess what? (laughs) Take that, learn from it and move forward. It's when Mm -hmm. people don't learn and move forward is when there's a big issue. That's when you failed. So true. Now, tell us about your journey as an entertainment entrepreneur. Like, what led you to quickly decide you wanted to be enterprising, even as an entertainer? Well, I mean, first and foremost, just to put it out there and make sure that it's very clear, 
entertainers are entrepreneurs, all right? Mm -hmm. And entrepreneurs are entertainers because when you're an entertainer, you're a business, you're a brand. And if you don't consider yourself that, that's an issue. You should always consider what you're doing a business. You should build it into a business and you have to create and develop a brand behind it. Now, for me, I, again, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, I like to make sure that if I like something, I want to bring it to market. I want to make it happen. So I also think of what is the next natural progression? What works with this? What works with that? How can I make this happen? For example, the Brimstone and the Borderhounds comic, the next natural progression from being a pro wrestler, I was getting out of the ring. Um, I wrestled for so many years and I said, I think it's time for me to kind of take a step back. I'm already starting. I have a little bit of knee problems. I have some shoulder issues with bone spurs. You know what? Let me take a step back from the ring and um, let me see what I could do to continue building on my brand. And again, I'm always trying to think forward. What's the best thing that you could do after pro wrestling? What what can you do with the, the pro wrestling persona? now? Brimstone, the character, was basically done like a comic book. I knew the background and the history of the character, even though, you know, I didn't necessarily implement it all in pro wrestling. I knew who the character was. I'm a gimmick guy. I know the gimmick. And for me, the character I built was something that I was able to say, hey, what are wrestlers? Wrestlers are superheroes inside the ring, right? They do big things. They have a good guy and a bad guy, a face and a heel. You work the crowd. You have your booze. You have your cheers. They're these larger-than-life characters. What better thing to do than to take the character out of the ring, pluck it right out, and take that character background and turn it into a comic book? Now, obviously, you know, if you're going to put it into a comic book, that takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, and you have to really learn an entirely new business. I happened to have a history in publishing, so I knew certain things about publishing, mm -hmm. but not comic book publishing. So to take that, you know, and again, I know it's a little long of an answer. It will all make sense, I promise you. Comic books, um, I had to figure out, all right, well, how am I going to publish it? How am I going to uh, make sure that it's seen? How do I build out from there? And it, originally, it was just the one comic. I figured out the printer, you know, I figured out the people that I needed to partner up with to create the comic book, pull it from there. We did, you know, comic book conventions and so forth. And I went back to signing at conventions just to continue to get the word out, utilizing my name and my brand to kind of get people to come in and, and see what else I was doing. So maybe you're coming for an autograph, but you're now interested in the comic book. Forget about the $30, you know, autograph or the $20 autograph. Why don't you buy a comic book, $10 signed. I'd rather you have that comic book. And now, you know, rather than spending $20, so you'll save $10 on the autograph by trying the comic book instead mm. and now people started buying into the comics now not only did they buy that they bought the next comic and the next comic and the next comic and if they saw me at another convention then they would buy two and three or four and five you see and it went on from there so yeah i might have taken a little bit of a hit back but i gained more fans and i gained more business from these people because they were interested and i wasn't being i wasn't taking advantage of them i guess you'd say because how many mm. times can you buy an eight by ten from the same person I wanted mm -hmm. to give them something back. So that's how I kind of intertwined the comic books. I did the same thing with the kids' books. And the kids' books were attached to the comics. It was the kids' version of the comic book. So now the adults who were interested in the comics, now they were able to vibe with their kids on the children's books with the same characters. Now that turned into, I had it as a DBA, but then we turned it into a corporation because I was at a con with one of my friends and his wife, Peter Mayhew and Angie Mayhew. Uh, if you're not familiar with who they are, Peter Mayhew is Chewbacca from Star Wars. And, um, you know, we were sitting next to each other and, and Angie says to me, 
she goes, you know, Brim, we love everything you're doing with uh, the comics. Pete wants to, to put out his kids' books. You know, would you be interested in, in helping us publish the kids' books? So we're like, sure, I'll do it. You know what I mean? I said, <laughs> myself and my partners, well, yeah, sure, we'll do it. So then we flipped it into a corporation, Hound Comics Inc., Hound Entertainment Group. So that is how that kind of formatted and how we brought a couple of things to market. Now, from there, I said, you know, I need to build out on this. I need to be in more places. Developed relationships with people from all different spaces, one being eSport Backpacks. eSport is one of the biggest uh, backpack companies in the world, and they're one of the top sellers in Walmarts and so forth. So, you know, I, I developed a relationship with the uh, the VP at the time, and uh, who passed away, and I, I loved him to death. He was a sweetheart. But we, we sat down and we developed together uh, the Brimstone and the Borderhounds Backpacks, that then sold in Walmarts all around the world. I still see at conventions, I see the people walking around with the backpacks. Now, mm -hmm. the cool thing about that is that uh, friends of mine from the Big Bang Theory had reached out and said, hey, Brim, can we get a bunch of your memorabilia and a bunch of your stuff for the show? And I said, sure. So I wound up sending them the backpacks and all that. And guess what wound <laughs> up on the show? In, in You know what I mean? In season seven, it started in Kuthrapali's apartment. The backpack was right on the back door and it was in a tremendous amount of scenes. Then I sent them out when, and I'll get to the sauce and seasonings and so forth. Then when those came out, you know, I sent them whatever they asked for. And then those little brimstone toys, the vinyls, all this stuff, it was all represented on Big Bang Theory. You know what I mean? Mm. Because, so so you see how things kind of move along and they kind of segue into each other. Then you, you're talking sauce and seasoning. When I was touring, and doing the comic book promotions or the kids' book promotions, I said to my director of operations at the time, Aton Wish, still a good friend. I said, Aton, I don't want to go on the road and see nothing but you know tr trains, planes, automobiles, the inside of hotels, the inside of uh, arenas. I want to go and see what's in the area. He's like, Well, what do you want to do? I said, Well, I like to eat. He goes, Yeah, well, we know that. <laughs> I said, Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And then he said, You know, well, you know, um, and I said, Well, I also I like to talk. He's like, Well, we know that too, Brim. I said, well, <laughs> let's do something in the foodie space. So uh, Food Hound Tidbits was born. We started doing the show, and um, this was before you know YouTube and, and social media in general was full of all the foodie brands and uh, all the foodie people and making things. And you know that, that was before all this. So mm -hmm. we started doing these Food Hound Tidbits uh, you know, shows while on the road. What's the next natural progression of doing foodie stuff? Is a brand. Let's do some branded stuff. So I always wanted sauces and seasonings. That's my thing. I'm the sauce boss. I love to do that stuff. I love to cook. I have my other you know, foodie content that I do. So what did I do? I, I linked up, and there's a story behind that, but I know for the sake of time, I linked up with the godfather of hot sauce, John K. John Hard, who has a tremendous amount of accolades. I, I said, listen, would you be interested in working with myself as well as another friend of mine who was very interested in doing hot sauce? Uh, Ron Bumblefoot Thal, who was formerly of uh, Guns N' Roses, uh, Asia and all that jazz. He's he's done a tremendous amount of things. John was like, absolutely. And Ron and I went down there for two days, created a whole line of sauces and seasonings. They all became award winning. We went, we put them out mm -hmm. to market. We hustled, we promoted them, not only at the conventions, the comic conventions, but then at hot sauce conventions, foodie conventions, and so forth, and expanded mm -hmm. our network and worked with our relationships within those networks. Now, that being said, from there, what do you call it? I needed to tie that into the other stuff that I was doing, right? Because I make sure that everything I do is tied together. Now, what I did was inside the comic book, there is a bar all the main characters hang out in. Again, 
I don't want you to take this the wrong way. It's just a gimmick. It's in a comic book. It's there in hell. It's it's hell. But hell is a corporation, not not what you think. And 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 mm-hmm. I, I I don't not to get into all the the details of the comic, but inside the center of hell in the wastelands stands a bar called heaven. Heaven in the center of hell, complete with stairway. Get it stairway to heaven. The yeah. so inside the bar at the bar is rub munchies and a bunch of different um, things, little snacks. All those snacks and candies are real. I brought them all to market. Then you'll have the characters sitting down eating burgers. They're eating Brinehouse burgers or sweet heat treat wings, having this flavor behavior. These are all the names mm-hmm. of the products that are real products in, in you know in the real yeah. world. So now if you're a comic fan, you can buy these products and eat these products. Or if you don't know anything about the comics, you might realize, oh, wow, this is from a comic book, and it's all tied together. Now, as I mentioned, Grindhouse Burgers. Grindhouse is because I'm always on the grind. I'm always working hard, Mm -hmm. and uh, so it's always the house of grind. And that eventually turned into the Grindhouse Radio, which we do now, and we're on over 30 different networks syndicated worldwide. We do between three and a half to four million listeners weekly worldwide, and that's, if you see, everything is all tied together. I hope that made sense. Yes, it, it absolutely did. And it's pretty brilliant. Thank you for correcting me that actually an entertainer is an entrepreneur. And that's oh, very, yeah. very, very, very correct that you said that. It's, it's funny because when we're looking from the outside, we don't always see the entrepreneur side of an entertainer, but it's a business. So mm-hmm. thank you for clarifying that. And now, you know, for yourself, even on, on Reinventing Perspectives, you are the host of, of this show. And, you know, Reinventing Perspectives is a brand, as is... Uh, Priscilla, you are a brand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You yourself, as the host of a show, are a brand, and you should be thinking of yourself that way. You know what I mean? And what's mm-hmm. the next natural step? Listen, you're very official. You know, when, when we had uh, made the connection, all your emails and the times and everything, you know, you run it as a business. That's intelligent. You know what I mean? Some mm-hmm. people don't run it that way, and they should because you are an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Sure. Now, Brim, I'm going to jump into some stuff because I I want to make sure I get as much information from you as I can. Sure. So what's the biggest business lesson that you've learned from entertainment, entrepreneurship, everything put together? The biggest lesson? Yes. Biggest lesson is for me personally is I trust too easily. And I've changed that over the years. It takes a lot more for me to trust somebody at this point after 40 years in the business. You know, there are a lot of good people in the industry. There are a lot of bad people in the industry. And there are people that want what you have. So the higher you get, the more people that are trying to ride those coattails and grab on and want to, you know, build their their own importance sometimes. So, you know, you always have to kind of watch out for those people that that's their only, the only reason for them being around is is to kind of, you know, jump on you and, and utilize you as their catalyst for, for getting somewhere. I've come across many of them in the industry, some who I've, you know, not realized and have taken on as a partner at one point or have, you know, allowed into my camp at one point, you know what I mean? So, you know, it, I'm a very good judge of character most of the time. But every so often, somebody puts on that facade and you feel that, okay, well, you know, maybe they're not such a bad person. And, you know, you find out later on that, yeah, that wasn't such a good thing. For me personally, trusting too easily was a big issue. And that helped, you know, with my recipes for success. As I said, failure breeds success. The times that I had issues with people like that, I took it. I learned from it. It knocked me down two steps. And then I took 10 steps forward because I am 
motivated, you know, to kind of say, all right, well, I can't let this break me down. I need to continue to move forward and drive ahead. So, Brim, what's your thought process? What are you looking at when you want to partner with someone? Most of the time, in terms of projects and so forth, I don't do a lot of partnering uh, as much anymore. Recently, I just partnered up with uh, somebody uh, for another podcast outside of Grindhouse, which was is very rare. Was very talented girl, Dana Pereira. Uh, she does that Trophy Wife show, and we were doing a little show called The Dirty Little Secrets Club, which which just kicked off. And the reason why I partnered with her on this show is simply because the girl is very, very, very bright. She's very motivated. She's very marketing savvy. She's very market savvy. And I realized this with Trophy Wives. We've been following each other for quite some time. So Mm -hmm. I've watched her kind of take off how she handles social media, how she handles uh, everything. It's very impressive. And she's not afraid to work. I like to work with people who don't, don't expect me to do all the heavy lifting. It's not fair you know, but prior to that, you know, in terms of partners, Brian House Radio, I mean, my partners are the ones that um, originally interned for me. You know, we started out with Through Hound Comics Inc. You know, Kim and, and another partner of mine, they had been interns for me. And I said, would, would you guys be interested in maybe doing a show? We sat around the microphone and um, an hour later, it, it worked and it was magic. Maybe about not even a year later, uh, we got our other partner, uh, Tom, on who started as an intern and, and did some things on air. And now he is one of the main players of the show and just they're hungry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I got to know them a good portion of time. I gave the time and the space and they wanted to learn. They wanted to move forward. That's the thing that I look for. People that are motivated, people that are looking to build, people that are looking to play as a team. Because it doesn't matter how big a name I am. doesn't matter what I'm doing externally. When we're talking about this, this is our baby together. We're building it together. We're a team. Some of us have better strengths than others. Like here, right now, I'm sure you might even hear it in the background, and I apologize. I'm in the studio, and Tom is sitting and engineering the show. In a million years, I couldn't engineer the show. You know, mm-hmm. I can talk like nobody's business, but I can't engineer the show. So, you know, aside from being an on-air host, Tom does engineering. You know, so he is a very important, you know, cog in this this machine. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there, there are reasons for each person being a part of what we do. And sometimes in some things, you'd be foolish to think that you could do it all alone. So, mm-hmm. you know, play as a team, play together in a healthy sandbox where everybody kind of knows your strengths and your weaknesses. Like I said, my weakness, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, to engineer a board. I can mm-hmm. sit and do voices till my, my, my heart's content, but I couldn't <laughs> get behind the board and do the voices. You see what I mean? Yes, so. Yes. Please give us some insight because you've built an amazing brand that has just transcended industries and different products and different services and remained relevant over time. What do you think has been like the key to building such a brand that has got longevity and also be so versatile? Um, Well, first and foremost, one is about engagement and being authentic. I'm, I'm unapologetically authentic, you know, screw the, the beard out over the, the quarantine. You know, I have long hair. I'm, I'm, you know, earrings. I don't pretend to be somebody I'm not. I'll walk into a boardroom with, you know, shorts and a, and a t-shirt on if I need to, because I'm just as smart and just as relevant as everybody else that's in that room. Over the years, no matter what I've done, I try to be very good to the people that have put me where I am. I give back tremendously. I do a lot of charity work, not because I have to, 
because I want to, and uh, it's about paying it forward. One thing that I also have learned over the years, I try to emulate people that have already been out there and that are successful in entertainment and in terms of entrepreneurship, you know, but in entertainment, you look at people like a Madonna, Madonna, craziest person for me to bring up, I'm sure. Right. But Madonna has been in the industry for how many years? She's worn so many hats in the industry over those tremendous amount of years. Uh, now I'm, I'm dating her, but she pissed me off one time when we met. Um, but that, <laughs> but that being said, I can tell you that story if you really want to know, but the deal with, with her is that she is unequivocally a brand. She is always changing her brand and moving with the times after, you know, a couple of years, she switches things up, but still stays the same. You know what I mean? You switch things up, you still stay the same. You realize that in order to stay relevant and be relevant, you've also got to you know have relevance and work with people that are relevant. You know what I mean? So you know, like here right now, I do voice work. You know, and and I like to work with people. You know, and do collabs with people that are on you know big players on YouTube. You know, they, hey Brim, could you do a voice? Sure, no problem. And then we pop into the studio, we throw some voices out for either an animation or this or that, and we make things happen and we make great content and have a good time. And then more people say, oh, wow, who's this? You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. uh, and then they realize my history and they say, oh, wow, all right, this is, this is a little more than I signed up for. That's great. And now you're going to get a new follower. But they don't stay a follower unless you engage with them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of the time a big problem that many people have, especially on like an Instagram or a Twitter Facebook even, and I'm so bad on Facebook, and I apologize, people. But what do you call? But Instagram, you know, they have comments, but then they don't engage with the comments. So mm-hmm. those people are going to stop commenting. And now, guess what? You just defeated your little bit of a following that you started. You know what I mean? You want that engaged following. If I see twenty people that have written a comment, I will go on personally, not my assistant, not my wife, not you know, not one of my part. I personally go on. And I respond to everybody because I'm authentic and they get a real response. And when they're having a conversation, they know that they're talking to me. If they have a question, I answer that question. You know what I mean? And I'm also there. I mentor people. For me, one of the secrets to my longevity is the fact that I have continued and kept people from each scene that I've been in. But if you recall, entertainment is one big scene. So, entertainment in general, you know what I mean? It's just like this big swimming pool. You've just got the different levels of it. Essentially, I believe that, you know, the fact is for me keeping these relationships with the fans and with other people in the industries, um, I believe that's what's helped the longevity and continue inventing myself. You managed somehow to not let yourself be boxed in. Because even for a person who is in entertainment, it's easy to get boxed in as, you know, the marketing oh, yeah. person or the podcast person or whatever. And it's to think about how you move through all those spaces and still remain yourself. That's, that's pretty amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Again, as a brand, when you're an entertainer and you build yourself into being a branded entertainer, you're able to move more um, fluidly throughout entertainment because you can do many different things within entertainment. You know what I mean? It's just that people don't know that or they don't realize they can do it that way or they just, you know, they're not motivated to do it that way. 
Since you mentioned your licensing deal and your partnerships, I think a lot of people, because for myself, I know I watch Shark Tank and I listen to people talk about licensing deals and that deals. Now, what are the key things to look for when you're doing something like a licensing deal? You want to deal with a company that has a good reputation. One of the biggest things before doing any kind of licensing deals, uh, any kind of partnership with anybody else, I do research like nobody's business and I don't leave it up to somebody else to do the research. I personally do the research because, you know, you want to you want to dig deep to make sure that you're getting in bed with the right person. Because if you get in bed with the wrong person, you're going to catch something you don't want to have. That being said, you know, that is the, the biggest rule in terms of doing any kind of deals. Two, you want to make sure that whoever you're working with can understand your vision and they respect your vision. You know, because if you're utilizing my name, if you're utilizing my uh, trademarks, my characters and so forth, any of my intellectual property, I want to make sure that that's being put out in the proper light. I want to make sure that, um, you know, here, like in the foodie world, you know, if my sauces and seasonings are out there and that has my name on it, well, you're sure as hell need to know that I'm the one that's creating those flavors and those flavors better be damn good. I look for quality. I'd rather have quality and deal with a smaller company than deal with some of the larger companies who don't care and they just did it for the quantity. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, because when people look at my brand, I want them to know that's by Brimstone. Brim did that. I want that because I know it's going to be good. His cologne is good. I love his cologne. It smells great. I'm going to go to Demeter. His his food products are great. I want to get my sauces and seasonings from him. Quality of the backpacks. This is one of the best backpacks I've ever had. And the list goes on. I want to make sure that the quality aspect is there. And then you also got to talk about percentages and so forth. And there's a lot of different things to go into such a thing, um, such as licensing. I'm not going to say I'm an expert. You know, but I know a lot. So I hope that answered your question a little bit. Yes, definitely. It drives home again, the brand Brimstone. Wherever you see it, it speaks quality. So, wow, we just got schooled right now. So thank you for that. I try. I try. I want you to know, like, if you're tuning into a program that Brim's going to be on, that you're getting 200% from me. I'm here with you. If I was talking like this and I'm talking and we're discussing this stuff, mm. am I bringing 100%? Am I bringing 200? No. Am I bringing 100? No. I'm even bringing 10%, not even. I want to be up. I want to be excited. I want to be mm -hmm. here. If I'm not being interesting, if I'm not bringing you my best, I'm not doing my job. They're going to get 200%. They're going to be entertained. They're going to learn something mm -hmm. and they're going to get a fresh perspective. So that goes along with the quality of product as well. You know, mm -hmm. like everything, it's status quo right across the board. You know, that I'm going to give you as much of me as humanly possible. It will be quality content, quality product, and so forth. I mean, even the comic books, it cost more to print the comics because I had something that had not been done at the time, this special glossy look to the comics. Not that comic books weren't glossy, but the print like jumped out at you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it was like a new style. And after I was doing it and I signed at New York Comic Con and so forth, right after that, people started questioning, Where, where'd you get these printed? What'd you do? And all of a sudden my printer's company took off tremendously because everybody wow. started going there to him. So, and it's also about helping other people. You have a question, if I can help you, I will, you know, and that's it. So I, I apologize. I went in a different direction. Bad, bad, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's really great. That's really going to help the audience, which is early entrepreneurs. And I think really understanding what you're saying about bringing that standard up to even every time people interact with you, 
that they should be able to expect something. Wow, that's operating at a really high level. So thank you for showing us that. Now, to someone who wants to be an entertainer, what would your advice be in terms of what should that person focus on in terms of learning and preparing to be able to move in a successful way like you have? There are many different aspects of that. The biggest thing that you have to do is one, you got to believe in yourself because, honey, what does RuPaul say? Pretty sure it's RuPaul. If you can't love yourself, you ain't going to love anybody else. <laughs> and the same thing goes for if you don't love yourself, nobody else is going to love you. Mm-hmm. If you don't buy into yourself, nobody else is going to buy into you. A lot of people, you know, they struggle with the fact that, well, I like to do this. I want to do this. But, you know, I'm afraid because I don't know if people are going to like what I do or they're not going to necessarily like how I sound or I, how I play this guitar or how I draw this picture. Guess what, man? Believe in yourself, put it out there, and start learning to have a thicker skin, okay? Thick skin is very handy, not only in entertainment, but when you're doing sales, when you're doing marketing. You see what I'm saying? Selling advertising. Any of this, you need to learn how to take being shut down. You need to be able to take harsh, harsh judgment where people will either say, yeah, no, not interested, hang up the phone on you, not be interested, never interview you, never give you the time of day, never listen to your stuff, never give you an opportunity. And you have to continue to move forward and not quit because quitting never did anything for anybody. You have to continue moving forward. The main theme is move forward, move forward, move forward. You know, you got to believe in yourself and you got to put your best foot forward always. Two, you need to really, if you're going to do it, Think of it as a business because you are a business. If you are a guitarist, you are a business. If you are an actor or an actress, you are a business. If you are a computer engineer, it is a business. You've got to think with a business mind. And what do you do when you're in business? What do you want to do? You want to excel. You want to build. You want to grow. Okay. How do you do that? Learn as much as you can about everything surrounding that business. Be a part of that community. Build in that community, build outside of that community, figure out what's related to you know what you're looking to do and build inside those communities because there are ways to collaborate with people. I mean, if you're a guitar player, well, guess what? A guitar player is great, but you know, maybe you want to put together a band eventually. So how do you do that without dealing with a singer or with a, a drummer or a bass? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Just mm-hmm. giving you an idea. Or maybe you want to do a podcast and maybe you are an incredible speaker. But you can't record, you know, I mean, you can. Things are so easy now. You can do simple recordings, but you want a production. Well, you Mm -hmm. need somebody who knows how to engineer and use a computer. How are you going to find those people if you're not involved? And, Mm -hmm. And, you know, why would somebody want to work with you if you're not involved? Involve yourself in that space. Three, never let anybody put you down, man. And understand that people will say the meanest and the cruelest things. And you just have to just like rule number one, just brush it off. Because guess what? They're just tired of standing in your shade because you're so bright. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're so bright. They're tired of standing in your shade. Mm-hmm. I want to make you guys feel good. And that's the truth. Well, another big thing is don't expect, because entertainment and entrepreneurship is not a nine-to-five job. One, understand the hustle. Understand the work. Understand that me in the position I'm in, okay, yeah, I'm a celebrity. Wonderful. That's great. I also work. From very early to very late, every day, I don't have a day off. Very rarely can I turn my phone off. 
Because if I turn it off, I might miss an audition. I might miss an interview request. I might miss uh, something for my PR. You know, I'm always on. People that work a nine-to-five job, people that get that steady paycheck, they don't understand that kind of a life. They mm-hmm. think, oh, well, you know, you should be getting paid for this, and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? I might not get paid for X, Y, and Z here, but I'm going to get paid for A, B, and C over there. And, mm-hmm. you know, me personally, I might, so say somebody works a nine to five job, um, they might make X amount of money, over, you know, over the course of the year, and they might make it weekly, okay, or the, bi-weekly over there paid out. And I might get it sporadically, but where somebody might walk out with $60,000 for the year, I might be walking out with $160,000 for the year. It's just mm-hmm. spread out differently. And then it comes down to money management and, you know, investments and so forth, which I'm not really huge in investments, but, you know, a lot of people are. So understanding that mom and dad love you so much, but they're not necessarily the ones that are going to be your biggest fans when it comes into, well, I want to become a famous musician. I want to become a wrestler. I want to become this. I want to start a new mm-hmm. company because they, don't understand that hustle. They work Mm -hmm. that nine to five and don't realize the benefits that come along with the success of an entertainer or an entrepreneur and having the relevance, not only doing it yourself and getting that feeling of, wow, look what I've done. Look what I've built. Mm I built a castle and an empire, you know, and so forth. There is the fear of not knowing what's going to happen, but guess what? When you're working a nine to five, your boss can fire you after five years, 10 years, 20 years, and you've got nothing. What have you got to show? You know what I mean? With me, I think of it as I'm leaving a legacy. People will hopefully remember who I am well after I'm gone. My kids, my family will have memories of me forever, and they will be able to have financially stuff coming in from well after I'm gone. So that, you know what I mean? You've got you've to play that out. You know, again, what, what happens when somebody works nine to five for their whole life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying nine to fives are bad. It's perfectly great. It's wonderful. It's just not for me. It's also not for somebody who has that entrepreneurial spirit. Absolutely. I think what you hit on um, with a lot of those points, especially the mindset, when you want to be an entrepreneur, but you want to be paid like a person who's in a nine to five, that you've got to think differently so that Mm -hmm. you, you lack an entrepreneurship. Thank you for those really, really strong points. As the president of Hound Comics, what's your favorite comic book? My favorite comic book was G.I. Joe, actually. That, that was my favorite comic book coming up when I was a kid. And then after that, the X-Men was, I mean, it was one of my favorites. The Beast was my favorite character. And then G.I. Joe, Snake Eyes was my favorite character. And funny enough, years later, Snake Eyes the character was drawn by Larry Hama. Uh, is Larry is a friend of mine now and Ray Park played him in the movies and Ray Park is a good friend of mine now. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's funny how things happen. Um, and the beast is one of my favorite characters of all time. The X-Men were, you know, created in part by Stan Lee and Stan was a good friend of mine before he passed, you know, so that kind of came full circle too. And I love all yeah. comics, obviously Spider-Man, you know, everybody loves Spidey. I like Batman. I'm not going to say I love him because then, you know, my partner, Mr. Greer, we're not going to be able to argue as much. Saying We argue <laughs> Batman all the time. I don't think he's as special as Greer thinks, but we purposely have those discussions on air and it's a lot of fun. The iconic characters, Spider-Man, Batman, Captain America, you know, the X-Men. These are the, the characters that have always been, you know, special to me and near and dear to my heart. Ghost Rider, um, you know, stuff like that. I've got to ask you this, and I'm sure people ask you a lot. 
What was your favorite wrestling moment when you look back to your career? Um, you know what? There's so many different things, so many different mm -hmm. moments. My favorite moment was not in the ring. My favorite moment was at the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame where I was given a, uh, a certificate of merit and basically a certificate of appreciation for all the work that I'd put into the business and, uh, you know, helping bright new, you know, workers come up. And I was uh, nominated for it by a couple of very important people. And I greatly appreciate it. And I'm still involved with them here and there. Um, I know that now they're doing not, not just the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Now the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame is uh, making its way. And I've been talking to them about maybe, depending on what my schedule is, being a part of, of their initial induction. Not being inducted, but maybe being a part of it. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, but that was the biggest, for me, meant the most. It was just being recognized by my peers. You know, and again... The industry is so scattered and you get people that, you know, they talk a lot of smack or they want to be in the position that you are. They're just, you know, so they're mad at you. You know, they, they want to hate on you. You can find so much garbage about me, I'm sure, that, you know, <laughs> it, it's not real. Then, you you know, you've got plenty of stuff that's, you know, positive about me. The fact is, is that for your peers in the wrestling industry, the ones that came before, for them mm -hmm. to show love and appreciation that meant the world to me. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very old school. So best moment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. The first time you get into the ring as a professional and you get a, a crowd of booze, how did that feel? <laughs> I never got the booze. Oh, I never got booze. You know what? I was a heel. I eventually called it a tweener because when I went into the ring, I guess my character was, it was just, it took off. It was popular because I had a character. I had a gimmick. Other people didn't necessarily have the character of the gimmick. And even though I was the heel and I was, you know, beating the snot out of the, the face, the good guy, you know, people enjoyed it. They liked seeing me toss people oh. around. So I didn't get the booze. You know, I got cheers, but at least I got the cheers because, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't get any booze, you don't get any cheers, you're not doing your job. And that's when you got to worry. I'd, I, I'd have been fine getting the booze. I would have loved it because that would that would mean I was a, I was a great heel. You know what I mean? I guess I wasn't doing my job because I, I was I got I got cheers instead. Even as like a heelish character, it flipped me into to a baby face uh, a lot of the time, which was really awkward. I wish I could tell you I never I never got the booze. That's amazing because I was like, oh my gosh, you must have had a lot of booze, and that's that's amazing. Thanks, I appreciate. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was nuts. All right, so my. Like even in, I mean, when we did like, uh, I did a lot of student matches and so forth. My first professional match, and I was spoiled. I'm not gonna lie, I was spoiled. My partner and I got the opportunity to do Triple W Wrestling Worldwide, uh, which I eventually became the heavyweight champion of. But Wrestling Worldwide was one of the first pro matches I did, and I mean, we were there in front of at least three thousand plus people outdoors in the middle of the Bronx. It was like insane and when we came out they cheered the crap out of us yeah. and here we are you know first time out there we're like all right we'll go with <laughs> so you know it was it, we were the faces in that specific match which was weird because normally they would book us as the heel we would wind up flipping anyway but um it was it was a really interesting start yeah mm -hmm. um and it, and it did spoil me a little bit i got a little egotistical about that um, and I had that, I squashed that a little later on, but, um, it's, it's being proud of what you do or what you've accomplished 
And you know, having an ego is not bad. It's when you're um, aggressive about it or when you get you know, arrogant. You know, when you're arrogant, that's that's the problem. Very big difference in a fine line between ego and arrogance. And, uh, you know, a lot of people get arrogant. You know, ego is good. You need a little bit of ego to to kind of get you through the the industry itself and entertainment in general, business in general. If you go into, oh, my God, you go into business, you go into normal boardrooms. Let me tell you, you walk in there, everybody is a dog and you're wearing milk bone underwear. So, you know, you mm. need to get in there and and be ready to fight for what you want. You know what I mean? And to mm. get ahead. You you watch Shark Tank. They'll mm. eat you alive. Mm. Kidding me? Brem, thank you so much for a great conversation. You know, I always end with these two questions. What's the one book that you would recommend to an early entrepreneur that you feel for yourself made a big difference? Shame on me. I really don't read a lot of books, um, especially on entrepreneurship and everything. I did a lot of stuff. I had the entrepreneurial spirit. I had my father, um, you know, who's an entrepreneur as well as a, you know, in sales and marketing. So I had the opportunity to learn from him and other people along the way as well. But I do know that anything that you could pick up, uh, you know, in terms of of sales and good mindset, like old school Dale Carnegie, things like that, those are always good to read. And um, it's really funny because a lot of people are really into the book, The Secret. So I don't know if you want to check that out or if anybody wants to check that out. It's about getting yourself in a good mindset. So easy to go down the wrong paths, you know, doing all of this stuff. Book itself. I don't have anything that I could give you off the top of my head that I personally read. I'm sorry. You know what? You just actually gave me something even better because now I'm going to ask you about how you've kept your mindset because you do all these things and to kind of keep yourself even just authentic in doing all those things. What's been the key for you? Well, first and foremost, having a fantastic and amazing wife who keeps mm-hmm. me, you know, pretty much in the same headspace. You know, my my wife and and my family keep me very grounded, so my head can't get too big. I keep an extremely crazy schedule, uh, so I know where I am and what I'm doing most of the time, no matter what's going on. Scheduling helps a lot in in terms of being authentic. I've been in the business so long, and I've seen other people who've gone down different paths. You know, who've been higher up and have dropped and who've been lower and who've come up and you know what I mean? And I've seen that arrogance can make you, you know, fail tremendously and not, not a, not a positive fail. You know what I mean? It's a failure that, you know, it just makes you unattractive to people. And I also realized that being good to people is, is such a big part of the business. When I go to a con, if there's a long line of people, well, I'm going to stay there until every single person has been spoken to. If there's nobody there, I will speak to the people that are working the con and ask them how they're doing. Trying to make people feel good about themselves because when people feel good about themselves, it puts them in a, a much better mindset, a much better place. And if you're the person that's helping them feel good about themselves, well, then they might become a fan for life. And uh, and it's happened. One of those people actually works for me at this point. It does agent work for me. A fantastic person. And coming by at one of the conventions I was signing at, and uh, and they smiled and they waved. And I said, I said, well, hello to you, beautiful. You know, and you have such a beautiful smile. Thank you so much for saying hello. And, and I appreciate you. Throughout the weekend, the person continued to come back to my table and came uh, very inquisitive and learned and, you know, and followed everything that I did long enough. And now that I know them so well, that you know now they they've taken on a, a position with me. 
So it, it's, you know, you never know what's going to happen and you never know where something's going to go. Mm-hmm. Did I make and, sense? I, did I answer your question? Yes, you did. That you really come with a heart of service to the things you do. And yes. I think that's that's been the key. And you learn what you need to learn for what needs to happen right there and then. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. It's a great takeaway. Now, my last question is always, Brim, and you can answer this how you want to. What faith means to you or what it has meant to you thus far? I'm, I'm Jewish. And what's really funny is that my whole character, what it was built on, the Brimstone character, a guy who, uh, you know, defended the gates of hell kind of a thing for wrestling and went into other things elsewhere. Jews don't believe in hell. So they, you know, the whole the whole thing about the Brimstone character was a joke to begin with, mm-hmm. um, which turned into something and steamrolled into something very good. But that being said, I believe that, that there's somebody watching over us. And I do believe that, um, you know, everybody should have a little bit of faith, not only in what, whatever it is they pray to, but faith in themselves, faith that they can kind of move forward and, and do things and be better. One of the biggest things is be better. Somebody's doing this, they're doing well. Guess what? You, you could, you're doing this too. Be better. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that's what stands out. And I say that to my partners all the time when, you know, but even if the, you're great, I love you, be better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll look at me like this and then I'm like, be better. Have faith in yourself. If anybody wants to check me out, therealbrimstone.com is my official website. I, again, on all my social media, I do engage. Not as much on Facebook as I should, simply because I don't see it as often. But uh, on Instagram, at therealbrimstone, on Twitter, at uh, entrance to hell. I'm sorry, it's just a gimmick. I had it when I was wrestling. Somebody took the brimstone name. And uh, also, I've been doing stuff on Clubhouse. I just started there. So if you guys are on Clubhouse, at realbrimstone. Uh, you can also follow my partners, uh, Tom Greer and Kim Adragna on there and, uh, you know, give people a wealth of information of just whether it's podcasting, VO, entertainment, entrepreneurship and so forth. Um, eventually, we'll start doing our own rooms as well. But right now, if you catch us on there, like us, say hi, hang out. And uh, we're, we're always you know, willing to talk and help out. Uh, thank you so much for that information. So the audience, please do Go ahead and check out Brim's work. It's pretty amazing. And you have a wealth, true wealth of information to share with everyone. So we're looking forward to those clubhouse rooms too. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank (laughs) you so much. Honor and a privilege being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Brim. If you got any value out of today's episode, please do leave a review. Let us know how we can serve you better. And let us know what kind of guests you'd like us to bring on and what exactly it is that you'd like to know. Also connect with us on Instagram at Reinventing Perspectives. Thank you so much for listening in. We absolutely value your time and we value your input. Have a great day.